Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. As I stated at the beginning of the service, as we come into this Advent season, we think of the word coming, that Jesus came at Christmas time and that he is coming again. Think about some of the preparations that you make at your own home when someone is coming to visit, right? You might clean and, and bake a little bit. You prepare things for that person coming again, and that's what we do during the Advent season as well. Some of the last verses in all of the Bible are these words, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, amen. It's been the prayer of the Christian church since Jesus ascended into heaven that, that he would come again. And here we are 2,000 years later and nothing has changed. Our Advent prayer remains the same. And so as we look at these words from the prophet Isaiah today, we'll say those, that prayer, come, Lord Jesus, today, come as king. Isaiah is describing in his prophecy some life-changing events. And I want you to think just for a minute of some of the things that you could consider in your life as life-changing events. I tried to think back on my life and think about those momentous occasions, those, those memorable things, those milestones that you couldn't wait to get to. And the first one that came to my mind, maybe some of you can relate, was getting a driver's license. All of a sudden, you had the freedom to take a car where you wanted to go. You didn't have to rely on somebody else to get you there. Then maybe graduation, whether from high school or from college, and, and your first job getting out into the real world that people talk about, right? Maybe for those of you who are married, you'd have to say marriage is kind of a life-changing event. And I'm going to guess, even though I heard that Olive sleeps 8 to 10 hours a day, she probably has changed Travis and Ashley's life a little bit, right? That's a life-changing event to have a child. And we could keep going, couldn't we? We can list all kinds of things that, that change our lives in the course of our lives. It's interesting how Isaiah looks at prophecy and how prophecy comes about. He's seeing things that we can look back on as individual events in history. He's seeing them all at once. As you read through Isaiah's prophecy, he's looking ahead to some troubled times for God's people as they were going to be carried into captivity by the Babylonians. He looks ahead and sees how 70 years later they're going to come back from that captivity. But he's looking even further ahead to the coming of Jesus the first time and the establishment of God's people, his kingdom here on this earth through faith. But even more, Isaiah is going even one step further. He's seeing an event that still hasn't happened. The return of Jesus at the last day. Those are life-changing events. Things that we look forward to. Things that are all wrapped up in what Isaiah is going to tell us today. And so as we think of that prayer, come Lord Jesus, today, let's ask our Savior to come again as King. And as we wait for our Savior to come, we can rest assured that as his word goes out, and it continues to do so, as it is proclaimed around the world, then the world will continue to come in. Listen again to the first couple of verses of Isaiah chapter 2. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Maybe just a, a word about the prophet Isaiah. He, he lived 700 years before Jesus was born, before Jesus' first coming. 
And yet, with clarity, he could see these future events. And maybe we can ask ourselves, well, how? Was Isaiah just sitting around one day and saying, oh, I think this might happen and this? Of course not. We're told that he had a vision from God. What Isaiah was writing down, what Isaiah saw, was from God himself. And that's what makes Isaiah's words trustworthy. That's what makes us realize that everything that he saw, everything that he wrote, wasn't from a human being, but from God himself. I suppose we could say those few little words right at the start of chapter 2. This is the prophecy that Isaiah saw. is God's way of saying, this is my word. Sometimes we call that the verbal inspiration of scriptures. That the prophets, that the people who wrote the Bible wrote the very words that God wanted them to write. So that you and I can trust that what we read in that holy scripture is God himself. The word of God himself. Well, how does he start his prophecy? Isaiah says this, In the last days, we as New Testament Christians, people who know that Jesus has already come, have the Bible's definition for what the last days are. The last days are where we are living right now. The last days, according to the New Testament, are the time between Jesus' first coming and the time that he's going to come again. I know that sounds strange because Jesus came 2,000 years ago and here we are still living in these last days when Jesus could come at any time. But Isaiah tells us what's going to happen and he does it in a picture, picture form. He says, this mountain of the Lord's temple was going to rise up and be taller than any mountain on earth. And then one more thing that he says is going to happen, all the nations are going to gather to that mountain. I want to show you a picture from outside of Jerusalem, looking at Jerusalem set up on a hill. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land, Jerusalem is pretty high as far as the rest of the land is concerned, but it's not tall as compared to other mountains in the world. Jerusalem on a hill stands about 12 to 1,500 feet above sea level. And so we would probably call that more a hill than a mountain, but Jerusalem was founded on a hill called Mount Moriah. That's where Solomon's temple was first placed. And you might think to yourself, well, if Isaiah's talking literally, then, then somehow that mountain is going to have to rise up to be the tallest thing in the whole earth. But that's not what Isaiah is speaking about. This isn't a literal thing that's going to happen where this temple of God is going to rise to the mountains. He's talking about something more figurative, more symbolic. And it's all wrapped up in our Savior Jesus. When Jesus came, he established God's reign, his kingdom on this earth. He did it by proclaiming the word of God, by being the very word of God and the one who paid for the sins of all people. It's as if Isaiah is seeing not just to Jesus coming, but his coming again a second time. Listen to his words in, in verse 3. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I love the start of that verse. Many peoples will come. Don't you love the inclusive language of the Bible? Because we don't have to wonder if God's promises are for us. They're for all people. 
For all nations, many people will come, Isaiah says. He's looking ahead to the proclamation of the gospel throughout the world and all of God's people who will be brought to that holy mountain. Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, Isaiah sees. And, and I don't know what you think about that statement, but as I read that this week, I thought, that's not really what we observe in this world right now, is it? Doesn't it seem like less people are coming to the mountain of the Lord than more people? Doesn't it seem as if evil might be winning more often than losing? Does it even seem like maybe we should be a bit pessimistic about the future because the world seems to be going in the wrong direction? Isaiah would say to you and me, if that attitude creeps into our hearts and minds, not so fast. Don't forget the power of the Lord's gospel. You see, that kingdom of God is established through our Savior, Jesus. Sometimes we call the idea of this kingdom that God established here on earth, we call it the church or the holy Christian church. And I don't know about you, but, but I know how we use that word in English and it's kind of skewed our idea of the word. Because when I hear the word church, the first thing that comes to mind is a location, a building. I'm going to church. Do you know that throughout the Bible, when the Bible uses the word church, it's always talking about people? It's a gathering of people. And so that's what God has established. When he establishes his holy mountain, he's established people as his church. You might ask, how? How does God do that? Well, there's only one way, and Isaiah hinted at it. He spoke of it as he said, the word of the Lord is going to go out from Jerusalem. The word. Paul wrote it this way. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. It's the word of God that rules in our hearts. Jesus even said that the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus is the king of our hearts through the faith that he has planted there to believe his promises. Maybe we could take it even one step further. Do you remember that John in his gospel in the first chapter described Jesus with that very term, the word? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's Jesus. That's how we know the will of God the Father, through the Word himself, Jesus, who came to bring that life-giving message to you and to me. So yes, as that Word goes out, as the gospel is proclaimed, as people hear the message, God is ruling God is taking over in hearts. God is bringing his kingdom and establishing it right here on earth as we wait for Jesus to return. I quizzed the first service. They didn't do too well. So I'll ask you, do you recognize the cityscape? This is a, this is a city in the United States. Do you recognize what city that is? You probably almost have had to live there to know. It's Portland, you got it, Portland, Oregon. It's Portland, Oregon, and that's Mount Hood, part of the Cascade Range, and on clear days, which I'll be honest, there aren't a whole lot of those in Portland, Oregon, but on clear days, you can see the mountain from many, many places in the city. And as I was living in Portland, Oregon, that was the first congregation that I served, I remember that I would go to the school from time to time, our Christian school, and I would supervise recess, and in the back of the school where the playground was, there was a beautiful view of Mount Hood on clear days. 
And I remember saying to one of the, I don't know, third, fourth graders one day, look at that mountain, isn't it beautiful? And she looked at me and she said, what's the big deal? I see it all the time. And I thought, wow, I came from Wisconsin, where Christmas Mountain is a tiny hill in Wisconsin Dells, right? We don't have mountains, and so for me to see mountains, I'm like, I'll never get sick of seeing mountains. But then I thought, isn't that exactly how it works with the gospel sometimes? Don't we get familiar with something so much that we don't appreciate what it actually is? Might we have that ho-hum attitude about God's kingdom being established in our hearts? Jesus coming again as king? Might we just think, oh, it's so far away, I don't have to think about it, it's no big deal? To us, God says, that's why my word is so important. Because that's what changes people's hearts. That's what keeps you close to him. And your savior, Jesus, he went up a mountain a hill called Golgotha, just outside of Jerusalem. And on that hill, he was willing to suffer and die on a cross for your sins and mine. And then he rose from the dead to guarantee you that you are a part of his kingdom forever. And listen, listen to Isaiah's description of what that kingdom is going to be like. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Do you love the description of peace? It's peace on earth, but it's a much deeper peace than that as well. It's so interesting, isn't it, that he says there's not going to be war, people aren't going to train for war, and I think about the world in which we live right now, and you have what's going on in, in Ukraine and Russia, and what's going on in Israel with Palestine and Hamas, and we think, oh, what it, all of these things that are happening, is there ever going to be peace again? And Jesus says, yes. Maybe not before he comes again, He actually told us in Matthew 24 that up to the very coming of the end, it's going to be wars and rumors of wars that we're going to hear. But did you hear what Isaiah said? What Isaiah saw? That swords and spears, these weapons of war, are going to be turned into plowshares and pruning hooks, gardening tools. Things that were used to cause conflict are going to be used to reap. What a beautiful picture. That's what Jesus' return is going to bring. Yes, he reigns right now in our hearts, but his kingdom is going to be established forever when Jesus comes a second time. And that reign of Jesus is going to be marked by peace, not only an absence from war, that will be a blessing too. But there's a deeper peace that Jesus is concerned about, a peace he wants you to have right now, a peace of knowing that you stand on judgment day right before God. You have peace with God because the blood of Jesus covers your sins. They're gone. And you have a life with him forever in heaven. That's why in his concluding verse of this section, Isaiah says, Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The psalmist said it this way, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. We walk in the light of the Lord by understanding that we belong to him, that he rules our hearts by his word, and that we have a place in his kingdom. Walking in the light of the Lord ultimately is to live, 
to live with complete confidence, knowing our future is secure, knowing who we are right now, the very children of God. And then one more thing. As we live in that time in between, the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, we get an opportunity to tell, to tell those who are close to us, to tell family and friends, to support the mission work around the world, to say, listen, this is the Savior that you have, the Savior from sin who rules hearts and minds by his word. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, we are living in the last days, the time between Jesus' first and second coming. It's why Jesus urged us to be ready. He said, be prepared because you do not know the day or hour that the Son of Man will return. But it's that word, the light of the gospel that prepares us for that day. Number two, the word of God continues to go out into the world to change hearts. I love how Isaiah describes it later in his, his work in chapter 55 when he says this, the Lord speaking through him, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth to give it food for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Finally, number three, the power of the gospel draws us to Jesus and the eternal life he gives. To Jesus, it's all about peace, the peace that we have with God. He spoke these words in John 14, Peace I give you, my peace I leave you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In John chapter 4, Jesus is having a discussion about mountains with the Samaritan woman at the well. After telling her about the living water that he was, you can tell that the woman is searching. She recognizes Jesus as someone from whom she can learn the truth. And she asks this question. We worship God, meaning the Samaritans, on this mountain. And right in the background was probably Mount Gerizim. But you, Jesus, and your Jewish people, you say that we have to worship in Jerusalem on that mountain. And I love Jesus' answer. The day is coming, he tells her, when it's neither going to be this mountain or that mountain, but the true worshipers of God will worship in spirit and in truth. Maybe you remember what the woman says next. I know, she says, that when Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus answered, I, who speak to you, am he. What a life-changing event. Not for just that woman, but for you and for me, that the Savior had come into this world to destroy sin and death and the devil and to reign in our hearts. And so let's pray that same prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come as King in our hearts. And then take us to your eternal kingdom where we will live with you forever. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.